Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, uh, welcome hey. to the podcast. Father John, my good friend, my good, good buddy, Joe Doman. Thanks, man. From the Doman clan of Philadelphia. So I, this is my first podcast in my 30s. So hey. now, now I'm a responsible adult. That's right. John, Father John Eppel is now 30 years old. Which is and terrifying and... Uh, in depressing, but just savor your twenties while you can, pup. And your back will start hurting, and uh, all the other things start to go. So. Back already hurts. Well, we got a rather difficult topic tonight. In fact, I mm-hmm. would say the most difficult. And uh, if they're clicking on this, they're not exactly interested in our typical chit chat and banter. They want to know uh, content about the question of homosexuality, That's which right. is the, in my opinion, and I think you would agree with me, the most difficult and the most sensitive. Uh, topic uh, for any Catholic nowadays. This is the topic for our generation. Yeah, not even just Catholic, but just for our, our the, the wider culture in America right now. Our generation. This is kind of the hot topic, uh, and I think it will be. For yeah. I think it'll kind of like I don't know define how our gener how at least the Catholic Church how we deal with it mm-hmm. um, and how it's dealt with in the culture. Will in some way, kind of be like the the issue, the defining kind of mark on our lives as a, as a generation of people in many ways it's analogous to the um the way that the question of contraception was dealt with by the baby boomer generation exactly. uh, and not not directly but in many ways kind of the same kind of gravity intensity mm-hmm. um and the same kind of like widespreadness like it touches right. everybody's life right and so what we want to do tonight and we have a lot to do and we're going to try and do it in a timely <laughs> yeah. matter um it's already nine fifteen at night so um and I'm in my 30s, so we got to kind of get on this here. Um, the clock's is, ticking. Well, we'd like, yeah, I only have so many days left. Uh, what we'd like to do is um, present the truth of the church's teaching mm-hmm. in its fullness, uncompromised. That's what I'm going to do. But we can't just stop there. Right? Right. Paul tells us we have to speak the truth in love. So how do we pastorally craft and how do we engage people right. on this issue, both people who are aggressive and hostile to us, but then most particularly people who struggle with these attractions and um and this is their cross this is their trial and so um that's the important thing mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we want to do tonight so i'm going to do kind of the first half just the second half but before i do that uh joe mentioned several weeks ago an experience he had talking to a guy who struggled with um homosexual attraction and uh it made me think of uh two years ago i got called up to um um help out some friends who are running a camp and uh basically what happened was um they were training college kids in preparing them for running a summer camp for mm-hmm. high school and middle school kids. And a priest was up there and the high, and the college kids who were camp counselors said, what do we do if a kid manifests a desire, a homosexual desire? And the priest gave a horrible answer. What was his answer? Pray. You got to pray away the gay, right? Uh. Absolutely. Like really, really a horrible answer to give. And it really shook up these college kids. Yeah. And so I, was up there a couple of days later, and I was able to speak to it. What does that even mean? Like, how uh, is that helpful at all? You it's know? not helpful, and um, that cannot be our approach. Right. And that's what they—that's basically what everybody expects us to do. So we, we simply cannot do that. That's not the right right answer. So we'll talk a little bit later about what I said to them, and I imagine that Joe will kind of flesh that out. But with that being said, um, we have to begin with the truth of the church if we want to be pastoral. Right. The bishop of, um, well, the old bishop of Cheyenne, who's now in Green Bay, Wisconsin, always used to say the truth is always pastoral. If we think the only way we can love people who struggle with homosexual attractions is by denying the church's teaching, both by explicitly denying it or just saying 
uh, well, I'll just never talk about it, omitting it. We're crazy. Right. And we're compromised, and we're actually doing more damage to the church and her mission as well as to people at large. Mm-hmm. And, so, this, and this is important for – I'm glad we're doing this topic, and this has been something that's been widely requested because I've spoken to uh, several Catholics, good Catholics, Orthodox people who love the church but also feel like they don't know how to speak on this issue without just sounding like total jerks. Yeah. You know, they don't – like how do we – do we have a better position than just we're against gay marriage? Yeah. And that's it? Like, yeah. uh, So th- I think a lot of good Catholics want to know, how do we how do we speak about this? Right. How do we speak about this and still be loving but also be faithful to the church? Right. Um, because I think a lot of people feel like they're in a catch-22, which they shouldn't be. You should never feel that way. Um, there's always a way. The, ch- the church is always loving. The, tr- the true church is. Right. Um, so anyway – so, yeah, so um, that's precisely what we're trying to attempt here. Right. So the first thing I want to do is just jump into the catechism here very quickly. And then I want to talk a little bit about marriage um, and what's happening with uh, the um, redefinition of marriage. Sure. Um, and then lastly, just a little bit on that question of nature-nurture, then I'm going to hand it off to you. Okay. dokie. So here we go. Catechism 2357. Homosexuality, refer, homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction towards persons of the same sex. And then it says below that, its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained, but based itself on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. So basically what that says in the first paragraph of the Catechism is that they are contrary to the nature of man Hmm. because they deny the sexual act, and the gift of life. Because they are not procreative, the homosexual act is inherently disordered. It is never permissible. It can never be allowed, and it can never be condoned by the church. Now, that's the first distinction we have to make. Act versus desire. Okay? This is a huge distinction. Huge distinction. And uh, Joe's going to kind of come back to that in a little bit. But that's a very, very important thing to say. Mm -hmm. If someone has a homosexual Mm -hmm. desire... That's a very different thing than someone who is acting on a homosexual attraction. If they're stru- or if they're acting on it, acting, and the church is saying here, the what is gravely disordered is the act, right? Mm-hmm. Not the dis- not, not the, the tendency, not the tendency, not the desire, that sort of thing. And Joe will come back to that in a second. Okay. Uh, I would nuance that. Yes, I, I I think the church does say that the tendency is disordered. It's not sinful. And that's a, that's a big distinction. And we can go into this more. Stay tuned. I'll talk about what that means. But when we talk about how the act itself is sinful, the tendency itself is not sinful. Thank you. That's, that's I misspoke. Because okay. it actually even says that right here. The inclination, which is objectively disordered, mm-hmm. constitutes for most of them a trial. Right. And so we'll kind of come back to that in a second. Sure. But I think that's the, that's a key distinction to make. When we, the church talks about this, the fundamental thing that it's speaking against is the act itself, the disorder of the tendency, but it's not condemning the person, right? Mm-hmm. It's talking about the, the realm of moral action. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to come back to that because how you deal with that is actually going to be Joe's kind of deal. So I'm the bad guy in this. He's the good guy. Um, He's truth. I'm love. Yeah, this right, is how we're going yeah, about right. this. So, so um, the catechism speaks about that. But what's happening in our world is not what we just described, right. right? That's the church's kind of a teaching on this. What's happening in the world is this. This is what happened in the 1960s. This is from a gay author named Gabriel Rotello, right? Gay liberation is founded on, quote, the sexual brotherhood of promiscuity. 
and any abandonment of that promiscuity would amount to a communal betrayal of gargantuan proportions. The very foundation of the gay sexual movement is about promiscuity, according to this author. Now, you can say to yourself, that's just an author, okay? Right. And you can say with everything I'm about to say, well, that's just a study, or that's just a statistic. But there was a huge survey done, right, Mm -hmm. um, several years back that um, had this statistic, and this is about promiscuity, okay? Homosexual promiscuity. A far-ranging study of homosexual men produced, okay, 1978, so this is before the AIDS epidemic, so this would have been more rampant, reveals that 75%, 75% of gay men in this survey admitted to having sex with more than 100 different males in their lifetime. 75% over 100 males, okay? That's amazing. Listen to this. 28% of that claimed to have more than 1,000 lifetime male sexual partners okay more than a thousand partners in a lifetime that's 30 percent of that 75 percent having more than 100 so what's happening and what has happened with promiscuity which ties into the question of marriage now is not so much about well i just want monogamy with this man what we're seeing in the gay movement is this kind of complete unbelievable unleashing of sexual promiscuity Mm-hmm. Sex with anybody, anytime, anyway. Right. Are you going to draw a distinction between – because you're speaking about the gay movement, which is true. Um, but draw a distinction between what do we mean when we say gay? What do we mean when we say homosexual? What do we mean when we say same-sex attraction? Okay. So that's helpful. That might be a good – That's a good thing to, that's a good thing to articulate. Now, um, that's tricky because that's always kind of changing. But basically what I, sake of what ho- I was taught, conversation what I was taught in psychology is that – we basically will make three different distinctions. And what we're going to talk about today is gay, homosexual, and, and same-sex attraction. Okay? So someone who's struggling with the desires but is not acting upon them, right, but is, is trying to live chastely in the midst of those desires struggles with same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. Somebody who identifies themselves by those sexual desires would call themselves a homosexual. And somebody who is rampantly living this this kind of radically promiscuous lifestyle and buys into the culture and buys into the culture and, and really promotes it it would be gay mm-hmm. so what you're what you're critiquing the promiscuity isn't necessarily anybody who struggles with same-sex attraction is going to be crazy promiscuous because we all know that's not true but we do know that there is a cultural reality a part of the gay culture that is undeniably promiscuous yes that's what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and the promotion of the gay culture from its very kind of inception right. has been uh, I mean, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable promiscuity, and 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 violent to the humanity, um, and disease-ridden. I mean, it's destructive. And and here's a couple more statistics, and I don't want to do more than this, but but there's a lot on this, and no one ever talks about this. Sure. But this is from the Center for uh, Center for Disease Control uh, and and Prevention Agency. This is the U.S. Department of Health. They're talking about men having sex with other men accounts for so MSN is what they MSM accounts for 71% of all HIV infections among men okay over 70% of HIV exists from these sec- these homosexual encounters these homosexual acts right men having sex with men is the only risk group in the United States in which new HIV injections are increasing right and then lastly more than half of all new HIV infections in the US each year come from this act itself from this one act is the complete like destruction of our humanity with hiv with aids with the spreading of stds it's it's unbelievable 
And so the statistics are there to say whatever is happening in this game movement, in this cultural movement, right? And again, these are these are people who are promoting the promiscuity, not people who are struggling with it, but who identify themselves and then start to act. What we're seeing is the complete destruction, right? The complete destruction of sexuality and even of humanity mm-hmm. and the way that it's being destroyed, okay? Right. So that's the la- that's the second point. With the whole marriage question, what's happening is that it's not about redefining marriage. It's about undefining marriage. And that's a logical distinction that I got from a couple of kids in the Tynan household, right? Yeah. Who are studying logic. Thanks be to God. You know, somebody's studying logic. <laughs> but the, we're not redefining marriage. When you ask people, what, well, what are you fighting for? Well, anything. It, it's, it's marriage based on feeling, right? It's not the, the, the typical kind of spousal or conjugal marriage. When you separate marriage from the procreative act, mm-hmm. You, um, it becomes whatever we want it to be. Yeah. And so if we redefine marriage politically in our culture, what we're going to do is we're going to destroy marriage because we're completely undefining it. Marriage becomes anything. Right. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's not indissoluble and it's not – there's no way to argue for permanence or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think the important thing, and this is from John Minto, who prepared a lot of these. I thought this is a great point about what John. Oh yeah, what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. We tried to do this podcast a couple weeks ago and it didn't <laughs> work. But um, so we talked through all this. But Minto said something interesting, and he said, um, "We lost the battle for gay marriage in 1930. Mm-hmm. In 1930, the Lambeth Conference, when the Anglicans uh, officially recognized that contraception would be permitted in, circum- in, in certain circumstances, and that began the kind of uh, the condoning of contraception." In Christian circles, right. in churches themselves, which has been devastating. It's been devastating because it separates marriage from having children, from like the, essen- the essence of marriage right. from children, right? Right. If marriage is not procreative, right, if marriage is not about babies, then we cannot make arguments against gay marriage. At least convincing ones. We can't. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, com- they're completely uh, – and that's why they're so angry at us because they see all these Catholics – Sleeping together before they're married, not getting married, mm-hmm. contracepting, and then we say, oh, you can't get married. Right. You can't redefine marriage. Well, we're redefining marriage. We're undefining marriage mm-hmm. by making marriage a joke. We've already lost the battle in that front. They have. Mm-hmm. And it began 85 years ago. And so we have got to start saying it's all or nothing, right? This whole Catholic sexual ethic is completely comprehensive and it's rooted in the reality that sex is fundamentally procreative. And if you remove that in any way, the act itself is is um, um, morally impermissible. Hmm. But we've got to get serious about that. I mean, we can't, we can't just condone. We just can't just condemn homosexuals and then say, "Oh yeah, but it's our it's okay if our kids are sleeping together, doing these different things, right. or whatever it might be." Yeah. It's crazy. And so I think that the the whole marriage front is a mess. Precisely because the church is so divided on the question of contraception. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Gosh, yeah, I, I think it's a really important point. The the one between connecting marriage with procreation, because that is, it's it's hard for people. For instance, when we say the homosexual tendency is disordered, we how can you speak about it being disordered in the sense of um, something that is ordered is or is ordered to the end for which it's made. Right. And if marriage is made, if if marriage is Part of the essential reasons for marriage is for procreation, having children, and raising children. Um, how can you say that this is disordered unless you have that connection? Right. Like if if um, if you don't have that connection, what's the end of marriage? If it's just two people loving each other and expressing the love for one another, 
then it's really hard to be like, well, yeah, what, what's what's a gay marriage then other than that? Exactly. Know? But if marriage is is uh, part of the essence of marriage is having children, you can make an argument to be like, yeah, this is not ordered for that. It's yeah. not ordered for the end of children because, you know, it doesn't work. Exactly. Um, no, I think, it's, I think it's an important point. I have one last thing I'd yeah. like to speak, and then I'm going to pass it off to you. Sure. And then you can love everybody again after I'm done being <laughs> the, the big jerk. Um, the question of na- is it nature or is it nurture, right? Ah, yes. I was born this way. You were not born this way. This is kind of the typical mm-hmm. argument. And this is what we hear a lot. Well, they right. can't help it. Well, it's really a complex question, right? It is. And the catechism I, even suggests that. The catechism says we don't know the psychological origins of this. What The best answer I've heard was from a, prof- a, a psychology professor I had up at the University of St. Thomas who said, we have to recognize that in some way there's a physiological disposition, right? There's some people who are disposed in this way. But then there is so much hard evidence for that there is an element of psychological conditioning that happens. Mm. So it's both nature and nurture in some way. Absolutely. But it's not hard line. Um, it's certainly not hard line. It's not one or the nature. other, very clearly. And people can say, I mean, you know, someone who starts same sex attraction can say, well, I've, I've, ever since I can remember, I've been this way. Right. Um, but psych- if you study the psychological or- origins of it, more often than not, uh, at, a, at a young, super young age, like I forget if it's infancy or toddler or whatever, there's something called gender confusion mm-hmm. where, you know, if a, a boy um, at some point, and don't, I'm not, I didn't look at this. This is from my classes on homosexuality we've taken in seminary. But um, at some point in his young, uh, young childhood, a boy makes a distinction between himself and his mother. Like he sees not only himself as another person than his mother but also sees himself as mother is one way i'm different you know i'm i'm like dad and mom is something different or for a girl it's to recognize that she is like mom and and not like dad you know um but sometimes if that distinction if that uh gender distinction doesn't get made clearly at that age uh that can uh perpetuate itself through childhood young childhood and sometimes you see this with a boy who plays you know with dolls or wants to wear girls clothes or what whatever or girl, vice versa. And it's not a, it's not a, um, uh, across the line universal thing. If this, if your boy is doing this, this he's going to end up having same sex attraction. No, but oftentimes that gender confusion is there, and then when adolescence comes and hormones and puberty, mm-hmm. these, uh, this confusion becomes sexualized, uh, and that's part of this. I mean, they don't, we don't know for sure, but we do know that this is a frequent thing, and so even pastorally. Uh, for parents, if you see this gender distinction, for a boy, you know, reinforce, you know, have him be with be with dad, do guy things, you know, for mm-hmm. a girl, have yeah. her be with mom, do, and this is something that you kind of see and you act accordingly as you go throughout, you know, but I think sometimes parents are like, what happened? And, right. And right. Uh, a, a child, a, a young man or a young woman can be like, I've been like this way ever since I can remember. Right. And it's because it starts at a really young age. Yeah. And it actually starts earlier than that. Because the last thing I'm, I'm going to say, and I promise this is the last, it's like the sixth time I've said that. But We're already at 20 minutes. No, we are? Yeah. Okay, well, then you'll do two minutes on pastoral and be done. So <laughs> yeah, this right. is from the Center for the Developing Child at Harvard University. This came out in May 2010. Are you familiar with epigenetics? Uh, yes, just because you've told me about them. Okay. So I don't know anything about this, but uh, Minto gave me some good stuff. New scientific research shows that environmental influences can actually affect whether and how genes are expressed. Hmm. Can your environment conditions your genome, okay? What is a genome? 
the entire. I have to look all this up. <laughs> the, the entirety of an organism's hereditary information encoded DNA. This is who you are. We're always looking for the gay gene. Right. But what this new thing is showing is that epigenetics is like software in a computer's operating system Mm -hmm. that our nature actually conditions and forms our genes our dna our nature or our our environment our environment right what happens to us at an early age right he's this study says simply stated the discovery of the epigenome provides an explanation at the molecular at the molecular level level for why and how early positive and negative experiences can have lifelong impact. Hmm. What happens right away, in short, the brain adapts to what is ex- it's experiencing, and it kind of hardens into the genome, so to speak. So things that can happen, traumatic things that can happen, can affect and form the genetic makeup of a child. The nature, so to speak, hmm. is formed radically by the experience, even from right. an early age. So what we're finding, even in the scientific world, is that to just say there's a gay gene and they're made this way, yeah, this is the way it you, is. If you absolutely, find the gene, it's, it's a part of how Absolutely it. not. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, the, the, psycholo- the psychological condition that you're talking about that happens in the few years after that, it's crazy. Yeah. It's interesting, too. I mean, this whole, are you born this way? Is there a gay gene? All these things. I feel like, I mean, that's fine if people want to research it. From the Catholic Church perspective, though, I feel like, I'm like, we don't need to argue that you're not born this way. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it could be helpful for... Under, I'm not against science and trying to understand things more scientifically. It's fine. But it doesn't really change anything from our standpoint. Um, because the <laughs> part of the Catholic Church's teaching is that our nature is kind of jacked up. Yeah, so... You know, like, all sorts of people are born in ways... We're all born this way. We're all, we're all born... Exactly. We're all born this way. We're all born with tendencies. Uh, my brother-in-law, I, show, I told you this little anecdote when we were driving... Um, after camping but like my brother-in-law shared with me on this subject uh whether or not you're born this way does it matter and he was saying you know i uh my father's an alcoholic he this is him saying um and when i was young i had tried alcohol and it affected me deeply and at that point i realized i can't drink alcohol i'm irish there's alcoholism throughout my family lineage i have a, i'm born this way it's part of my genetic makeup whatever when i drink alcohol um it affects me in a way that I can't do it in moderation, right. and so I have to sac- I have to make sacrifices because of that. I can't drink, you know. I, he, he's in, in a lot of public functions, you know. It's it's obviously not a cross right. or a sacrifice like same sex attraction would be, but it's just an example of something where, yeah, he's born this way, and so what, you know? It, there's, uh, there's, being born this way doesn't necessarily mean this is how you're made to be, right? Uh, this is God's plan for your life, or to ind- or to follow any inclination that you're born with, because if we all did that. We'd be in a lot of trouble, and that is the that is the question. Virtue mm-hmm. that I think you you know we were talking about early on of like you can have self mastery over the craziness of your passions. Mm. We all have to do that, and it doesn't matter if the desires that are disordered are homosexual or heterosexual. We all have disordered passions; they're called concupiscence. And at a certain point, that doesn't matter the nature of them. What matters is that we have to live chastity, right? And hmm. it, whether yeah. we're in marriage or not, we have to. We have to simply do it. Yeah, totally. Can I make it a suggestion? Yes. Why don't we stop this one and then re-record a second one and just do two parts? Part two coming at you. There we go. So that was the – is there any other of the hardline stuff that we got to talk about before we uh, go to the um, next time? Well, if we need to, we can we can include it next week. But um, I don't know. Okay. That was good, though. Well, we'll include next well, week. Well, hopefully, we hopefully it was good. We'll uh, we'll come back at this uh, next week. All right. Sounds Thanks, good. Joe.